welcome everybody to another live expert Q&A. I have here Allison and Trevor. They're both the co-founders of JNAP. My name is Family John, Managing Director at ProductLed. And today we'll be talking about how to get your product, customer success, sales, and marketing aligned together to grow a business. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to leave them in the comments below. How are you both doing this? Well, in your case, it's at morning, right? It's afternoon here in Toronto. So how are you both doing? Doing very well. Yeah, so to be here. Yeah, and you were just sharing, Allison, that you kind of binge-listened to a few product podcasts. So I'm glad that uh, that you found this this show valuable. I'm really excited to have both of you here. I know the person introduced us, Anna from Arthur Ventures. Is uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I read about this these two people. I mean, before we jump into you know, product-led and sales-led and and hybrid models and all the different sign-up process, and I, I just heard before we tried reputation-led <laughs> sign-up, like, can one of you share a little bit about the story behind Jane and how it kind of got started? Yeah, I well, I was opening a healthcare practice myself uh, about nine years ago now. So physio, chiro, massage, naturopath, midwives, counseling, multidisciplinary practice. And I was looking for software that would allow for online booking and electronic charting specifically. So I'm sort of that typical story of, you know, you have a problem and there's no solution that exists that's going to work for you. And then Trevor had a marketing a branding agency and they were doing the the website and all of the branding. And I I complained a lot about everything I found that didn't work for it very well. And then I'll let Trevor pick up his side of that story. Yeah, we we were doing so much work to make to like build a beautiful website and create an amazing experience for Ali's patients as they're looking for care. But then the options for booking online would like punt them out to some service that just felt like kind of late 90s internet. And I was just just like uh, I was like we can do something here. Let's build something for you. So we built a online booking and you can't just build that. You have to build a whole scheduling tool on the back end for the admin staff. And then Ali's extra ask was, could you also make it do our medical records? So we, uh, and you have six we weeks. Were quite a thing for her. Yeah. And you have six weeks before I open. So can yeah, we do we it? Real quick. And then I just hosted that on a Mac mini in my practice for a year and a half. And we just used it. It worked really well. And then we both, this product, this problem obviously existed for more people. So I had people asking me about it. Trevor had people asking him about it. And then we decided to, you know, partner and build it into a full practice management system. And we, our original business plan had, I think, eight people. We were just going to pull dividends. It was going to be a major cash cow. But now we have 180 staff and it's being used in like... 50 countries and it's not what we thought it was gonna be but we're having a really really good time it's more people had the problem than we knew so that's been a good experience awesome well thank you for sharing that story and the reason why we're here is the interesting ways that the different practices can sign up for JNAP. I mean, if people are on, go on the site, they can sign up through self-serve. They can sign up, do an on-demand demo. Then there's a live demo. How did those kind of pieces come about? I mean, did you start off with one and then started layering on the other ways? Or did you like, oh, let's just do all three to make sure we capture as many uh, different types of people who don't want to talk to sales? And there are some people who actually want to talk to sales. Yeah, well, we actually just don't have sales. So I think the original, the way that we got connected, Remley, was I think you heard that our company has one customer, we call them customer support, but they do everything in the, every interaction with the customers 
through this one team. So there's no sales, there's no account reps, there's no onboarding team. They're all a single team. And it was sort of actually just replicating what we did from the very beginning because Trevor was building the product and I was talking to every customer. And so I was that person. That, that was my role as a original you know, founder. So I would do the demos and then I would tell them, yeah, this is going to be great for you or it's not going to be great for you. And then I would help them onboard and do their import. And that's for whatever reason, when companies scale, those roles end up being divided into different departments. But we thought it was very successful to have you have such an intimate knowledge of your customer and what's going to make them successful that you should be the person selling to them because you're not going to oversell because then you have to support them after the fact. So there's never going to be an overpromise because then you have to pick that up on the, on the other side of that conversation when they actually sign up. And so we've actually just scaled. It's been, well, this is what worked at the beginning and we're, we just kept scaling that on a single team. And so far that's been successful. We'll see if that continues. And then in terms of the self-serve sign-up, how did that mm-hmm. come about? So now you start, So what I'm hearing is it started off with you probably super busy getting, doing a bunch of demos. And then at some point, it was like, wait one second, maybe like we should think about this, get allowing people to sign up directly. When did that kick in? Like, let's actually open this up. Yeah, we did that very early on, but you know, it wasn't really motivated by a sales function or it was actually motivated by us just like easing our own administrative burden. Like it would be a lot easier if customers could just sign up and open an account. So maybe we should just build that. And we, so we had that almost from uh, day one where customers could sign up and they do, they enter a credit card and they will get, they'll get billed in kind of our next billing cycle. So this was, that was also an intentional decision that we wanted customers to sign up with a bit of commitment to get going in Jane. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. No free trial, no freemium, just a paid plan right from the beginning. I think we we're talking about level of commitment of customer. And I was finding that interesting listening to your podcasts about, you know, your other guests talking about product-led growth. Never really occurred to me that your product is really is the salesperson and getting people in. Your product is the salesperson. And that should influence everything about how a company runs. It should influence your marketing. It should influence your sales efforts, your product, your engineering. And actually at our last company-wide meeting that we had yesterday... Ramley, I should show you all my, I should send you this video. Like I just talked about how everyone's a product person at a product company. And it doesn't matter what role you're in. You have to have the product market fit as your ultimate heart. And so we talked about product, customer, product and customer. That's the heart of our business. And if that doesn't excite you, it does not matter what role you sit in. You will not find it, you know, success and enjoyment working here. Because you have to really obsess around the customer needs to create that perfect product. And so those things together is sort of what creates like the heart of our customer for every single seat. And so everything that we're doing in the sign-up process and the sales process in which we don't have the sales team for, it's trying to get customers in, get them committed and getting them on that product journey with us. Like we need to get you in and we need to get you working and, and finding value in that. And then telling you how to accomplish that. So getting people into the product, obviously, as easily as possible. Mm. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Like you you, you don't have a free trial freemium. I mean, I guess that's deliberate because like we were just chatting before this that, you know, you wanted that commitment from the get-go. Is that the primary reason why there is no free trial freemium? It's just, you know, they're not going to see the full value of the product if they don't have that level of, of commitment. I think that's partly because of the role Jane plays as a product. Jane's not like an add-on software that you could kind of 
play with, see if you like it, use it more if you like it a lot. The function that Jane plays, it, it runs their business. Like it actually is their, it's their main schedule. You can't run two of those at the same time or else you'll have double booking problems. And it's their accounting back. Like it, it's handling their invoicing, their payments. So that for a, someone to have a successful start with Jane, they really need to dive in. So this is where we put like a huge emphasis on our the level of customer service that we provide, mm -hmm. even for a kind of a low price product like Jane. We really guide the customer on like how they could have a successful start. So we usually say, you should sign up two weeks before you want to go live. That'll give you time to kind of get into your account, configure things. At the end of that two weeks, we're going to schedule your data import. And on that, the end of a workday, like maybe a Friday night, you're going to send us your data. And our import team is going to have that ready for you for the next morning. So you can just start going in Jane. And that's your hard switch over date. You got to shut down your old software. You can't use two things at once. And then they're going. And that's a lot of manual effort on our part, but it's been incredibly successful at getting people committed from day one. Really fascinating. So somebody signs up and you're giving them this really high touch uh, experience. I'm guessing you're, you've calculated this. How many hours from your team does it take to onboard a new customer? Whether like your lowest plan right now I'm looking is, is I believe around $74 and the middle 99 and the highest 369. So regardless of the price point, you're doing high touch onboarding and mm -hmm. like like i said what is the effort required in terms of hours and, and number of people involved in onboarding one customer we're offering high touch onboarding but it's not required and i think that mm. that's a little bit of a difference so we have full time free phone support and we have email support and chat but it's there if you need it and it's it's accessible, but you can also onboard autonomously. So you don't actually need to talk to us, but we want to be there if you do have problems. And so people can onboard in two hours if they're a brand new practice and they're just getting started, especially if they've used Jane somewhere else and they're familiar with it, they will never talk to us. In fact, we have, of every demo we do, we get three or four signups and we may never talk to them. There's a lot of people that do it autonomously. And I actually think we need to improve the, their ability to find, seek out information we want to improve the product experience for those types of people that don't want to speak with us. But we've never tried to reduce customer communication. So a lot of people are like, well, we don't want them to call us. But we're kind of like, well, we like it when they call us because we build relationship. Every conversation is an opportunity for us to build. So we, I don't want to get rid of phone support. They're clinics too. They're very phone-based people. So it can take as little as two hours, but it can also take a couple of weeks if they're a larger practice and they need lots of import support. And that's why when they're 10 licenses or more, and we kind of say, okay, this is like a clinic that has more data and more data history, we'll give them more intentional onboarding support. But often we're chasing them. Look, like we want to help you. Like, can we help you? And so it's, we're, we're trying to increase that, which is the opposite, I think, of what people usually are trying to do. We do budget a number though, and it's changed a little bit over the years, but I think it's roughly five hours that we budget per new customer yeah. as kind of the overall effort of our team required to get them through if they do a demo, if they need some training, and if they need a data import. Really fascinating. I mean, I want to take a step back because, you know, I'm in the sign up page for JNAP. It looks like there's three options here. There's go ahead and sign up, but here are some things that you need to know, which we'll ask in a bit because that's interesting on its own. It's very unique. Then there's the on-demand stuff. They can do an on-demand demo. And then there's a live demo. About how many people are actually just signing up directly versus actually how many people are 
going through and like, hey, I, I want to talk to somebody because this is a great exercise of you want to probably why you're doing this is you want to serve every type of customers. There are some people who love talking to sales and there's people like me who would avoid, <laughs> I'd rather walk on nails yeah. than talk to sales. So, I mean, can, can you share a little bit about the breakup of self-serve versus demo? And yeah. Well, I think the ratio Ali mentioned is really our only metric on this, that we know how many customers are signing up and we know how many demos we're doing. But we actually have, I honestly, just a really hard time tracking actually the conversion of that. And it's down to simple problems. Like people often, they'll do their demo on their home computer and sign up on their work computer. Mm. So we have no ability to track that person through technology. And often they'll use a different email address because they might, you know, whatever. Mm. They sign up under like the clinic owner's email address, but they did the demo under their personal one. Or So we have a hard time tracking that without it just being kind of a manual process. I think this also goes back to our flipping the customer journey conversation. We are only now, we've hired a data specialist and we're now just starting to try to get better at tracking. But because growth and demo conversions hasn't been our biggest fire, like that's just hasn't been our biggest fire, that now we're starting to throw a little bit of resources into like, okay, it's time. Like, let's make this a little bit of a better process. But we've been fighting like having actual availability. So this is one thing because we don't have a sales team and our support team has to do the demos. It's always the first thing that we take off the schedule when the support team is overloaded. And right. so even having enough availability of... De- I know you're just laughing at us but no, like, it's because it's just ridiculous. But we prioritize our current customer base above our potential future customer base. And so if we have to make a call on resources or and there's growth pain points, we prioritize our current customer base, the loyalty of them, the happiness of them over the sales motion. And so that's just been our focus up until now. So we're layering. And Trevor's also looking so ashamed right now as I say this. It is awful that we rate limit our own growth by not offering enough demo space. But we're trying. We're trying. We've always hired on a lagging metric. Like we've grown on revenue. Yeah, right. We've we've never grown on funding. We've always been cash flow positive. So we've always hired on that lagging metric. We grow a bunch and then we hire to kind of backfill. That's one of the side effects. We're getting ahead of that now though. Yeah, we are. <laughs> no, that's, it makes a ton of sense. It's part of growing pains. And this is good problem to have rather than crickets, right? Like exactly for yeah, me. I was like, is like, yeah, you guys are on to something. And you know, a lot more people are raising their hands because for a lot of product-led companies, usually it's the other way around where they sign up once and they they get out. <laughs> they don't even tell you why they're they're leaving. So that's really, really fascinating. I mean, to that vein, I want to talk a little bit more about the self-serve side because there's also an interesting, unique thing that you're doing here is that you're framing and setting expectations from the get-go. In the sign-up page, you have like, before you sign up, make sure you have three things or else you're not going to get value. How did that, I'm guessing that evolved because maybe at the beginning, it was just like sign up here and a lot of people are getting stuck. Like, can you talk a little bit about how that piece evolved with setting the expectation from the beginning? Yeah, almost always we're evolving to solve our own problems. So for the account owner instruction, this was actually very, it's kind of unique to our, well, maybe it's not unique to our industry, but people would sign up, like a receptionist would sign up for a clinic and list themselves as the primary account owner. Maybe you even have this family in like your own, where someone will sign up for something for your business and use themselves as the primary owner. And then you won't have access 
you won't have owner access. So they'll sign up as a receptionist and then they'll leave the clinic. And then now the account owner, the business owner, no longer has control over their data. And so for us, as a, especially in the healthcare industry, it's super important that we have the correct person listed as the account owner. And so before they even start, we're like, you need this information. And then we noticed we could track where in the funnel they're they're falling off in the sign-up process. And obviously, like they have to choose a URL at one point. And that is very stressful to people. And so they get there and they're like, well, what do I... And you can change your URL. We can update it for you. It's not a big deal. And so we were just like, what can we tell people so that they don't feel so nervous about that step in the process? So that was just really... It's just, yeah, we were looking at where are people falling off and what do they need to know before they even start? And then trying to educate them. Yeah, a lot of that is just solving... like kind of admin problems we're having. Like we've been offering uh, Jane to governments and other people to book vaccine bookings recently. And patients hear this like, oh, I can book a vaccine on Jane. And they end up in our actual sign up for a Jane account as a clinic flow. Yes. So now we're actually introducing even more kind of filtering questions right up front in that sign up to make sure like, hey, are you a patient looking to get vaccinated? Head this way. Yeah, it's, that's super interesting. Yeah, no, that is definitely uh, interesting especially it's highly relevant uh, right now. I mean, in terms of the sign-up itself, I mean, there's, there's a ton of fields I, when I was tr- trying to sign up for it. I mean, and it's, it's part of that framing is also making sure that you're preparing them, like, hey, you need all this information to complete all of this stuff. I mean, I'm guessing once you've kind of set this exp- expectation at the, the very uh, sign-up page, did you see, and this goes back to data, and I'm curious if you have it, did you see an uptick in terms of completion rate for the sign-up? versus without it, it was like a little bit lower because people are like, oh my goodness, there's 15 fields I have to fill out. I think the very like nature of our product is also kind of an interesting one because once you make the decision to sign up for Jane, you either need to sign up or you don't. Um, Mm. You either need it to run your business or you've made the decision to make the purchase. It's not one where there's less of an opportunity for it to be sort of like, I'll come back to it later because it's so core. It's integral to the business that these people are running. And so we haven't, I mean, this is one of the areas that our current marketing team wants to do some refocusing on the funnel. And I'm like, okay, well, before we do anything, we need to look at the actual data. We need to go in and I need you to contact 10 of the people that fell off at this step and say, why did you fall off at this step? Was it that you weren't aware that Jake, like, do you just need a reminder of us? Or is it you're a patient trying to put an appointment and that you realized at the billing step that you're in the wrong place? So what problem are we actually trying to solve? We often will take the data, do a lot of manual investigation into certain, you know, just like I need 20 examples to be like actually called. And then we need to find out what happened here before we start just saying like, well, they're in the funnel, let's retarget them. I'm like, but do we actually want them to finish that sign up? Maybe it's good that they didn't. So, and then how do we fix that problem? Really fascinating. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, I have a good idea now to sign up. I mean, I wanted to kind of shift gears and you've said it, you said it a few times that you don't have any salespeople <laughs> and then your support is your sales. What does the org structure look like? This is a question that I get a lot uh, in terms of product-led companies. What does org structure of a product-led company look like? And it looks like you have a pretty unique, uh, you know, where your support or customer success is wearing two hats. Like, can you talk a little bit about the structure as well as like how many headcount is in each of those different departments or teams? Yeah, this is something we're working on a lot right now as we scale. It's really fascinating. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to scale this way, but so far it hasn't broken. We actually have almost 45% internal churn out of our support team. So our support people go on to into the QA team. They go to be product owners, 
that's what we, we call them portfolio owners. And I don't know the technical term. It's product, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, product owners, yeah. 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 So they go on to be, they go into product. We actually have, we're just starting a path that you can go from support into junior engineering. So we want to support female developers coming out of cool. support and we want to create our own pipeline there, which we're excited about. They go into privacy security. They go like, so our support team, we call them the stem cells of the company and they really move into everything else. And what they do is they bring that customer, deep customer understanding mm. focus and they bring that into the rest of the company. And it's, it's just, and so their content and the training team, like there's so many areas. So what we're trying to do right now is develop ways that people can have career advancement within a seat and also have lateral moves that take them into new like ladders, if that makes sense. And so we call the front lines, the drivers, Jane, they're the most important people, the people actually doing the work, like actually answering the phones and building the product. That is what we are. You're building relationship and creating a good product. And then every layer below that is just a support. So we we actually tried to turn the org chart, you know, either sideways or actually completely upside down. And all we're doing is supporting the people who are the drivers of the company. And so from there, it's very long and it continues to grow because like I have schools, you know, we'd love to start having a schools program. So that's going to become a new lateral move for a support seat and then a new column. And then once you get to eight, you need a manager to, to help with communication and support and ensure your role is. So that's, that's currently what it looks like, but it changes sort of every day. I think one thing that's really cool that Ali has done on the support side is instead of breaking up the team, because it's big, instead of breaking it up by the customer journey step, uh, we've actually broken it up more by geography or discipline of the practitioner. So, and then that, that one smaller team can be with that customer through the entire journey from kind of initial contact all the way through to supporting them once they've been a customer for years. So we have a, a you know a US a team focused on US practices, team focused on Canadian, UK, uh, Australia, and then we have uh, specialty teams for like mental health practices. And so we're kind of we're sharding like a database term. We're splitting up our team like in um, horizontally in that way instead of by the customer. And the cool thing about that for a product company is that our U.S. team, they're gathering information that's very specific to the U.S. market mm-hmm. that we can feed into our product. So we get the signal from the customer in a way that's more helpful. Like it's not helpful for me to know, you know, that we're like the sales aggregate number isn't helpful, but I need to know that by discipline, by geography of our particular vertical customer base. So they're getting signal that's like from a specific customer base that we can then improve the product for. And so the divide like that has worked, but we're we're going to have to divide it even more. So we've added payments as its own specialty, like areas where there's maybe more complexity or where the product could use more specific signal from the community of our customers. We'll divide that out into its own area as well. And I think this fits beautifully with the idea of being product-led because we actually call our customer service people product specialists and they get to really specialize in kind of a specific customer type and be that actual specialist. So when one of our customers contacts someone, like they're going to talk to someone who like really knows Jane and knows Jane for their particular market really well. There's so many follow-up questions <laughs> here. <laughs> I mean, so you, first of all, what I'm hearing is a lot of your product specialists or product owners has done support or customer yeah. support originally, and then they moved up. And then now they have that customer mindset and they're they're still doing both roles or like, are they doing a little bit of support sometimes? No, I'm, I'm seeing some head, head not shaking. So 
Interesting. So then you have to keep hiring new support folks, essentially, with that yeah. model. Our poor support team is both hiring uh, because we're scaling and hiring to backfill. And it's uh, it's quite the hiring challenge. We're hiring eight a month, eight support people a month right now. And it's hard to explain in our hiring. You know how everyone's like, we're growing again, we're hiring. And we're like, we're hiring too. And it's not because people are leaving the support team. It's because our support team yeah. is feeding the rest of the company. And so we talk about this, the support hiring team need to know the skill set that we need across the whole company. We just created a like a technical escalations role and that will be filled from the support team. And so every time we add new roles, we're because the support, we would just pull from the support team. And our support team are like baristas and servers and like most of them don't come from the support industry. So are all products so far like they were promoted to that position or are you hiring external product? Because this is an interesting model now because like before, like usually when you hire for product, it's really hard to you know, train the product and get to know the customers. But in this case, then they're already kind of experts in the product and the customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, do you at all hire for, for product directly or not at all? So we brought in one amazing coach as like a right. senior product manager, and he runs our team of product owners. And that team entirely came from the customer service side of the business. And that's working wonderfully. I think there's... As we scale, like his team's too big for one person now. So now we are looking at bringing in some, maybe some more senior uh, product management experience to help kind of keep doing that. But, and we're also learning what career path would be best to get someone into that product owner seat. So mm-hmm. we're recommending support people that are interested in being POs at Jane go into the tech-esque role so that they can learn the technical side of Jane or the QA role so that they can QA and learn how to work with devs in these two other environments and then from there move on to POs. So we're trying to create career paths that make sense where they're gaining the like stepping stone skills that will make them successful along the way. So I'm just building a career map. Like it's a career map. That's what we're kind of calling it. And it's like, you should be able to take this at your annual review and chart yourself a path to where you want to be. And then say like, well, what skills do I need to learn? So it's Jane's like a university. It's so cool. Like the opportunity that you have yeah. within a company to train someone uh, and if they start in, and they start in the customer heart, like you can be successful anywhere. So pretty cool. Really fascinating. I have so much follow-up questions here. How long do somebody have to stay? I mean, going to that, that career mm-hmm. map, like how long does somebody have to stay in customer support team before they can move up? Or is it more like once they've hit a certain level of proficiency or like what is the, the criteria for somebody that's ready to move on to the product team? It's super hard to have process around that when you're a scaling company because, you know, if some rock star comes in and sits in their seat for eight months and is like incredibly knowledgeable and good and has built themselves, like, then I'm like, well, you're the right person for this role. And so we're working on moving a little bit from the tap on the shoulder, you get this role to the internal posting as we scale, like trying to make it a little bit more of a structured system. But in general, we say you should be sitting in the support seat for a year because that just gives us enough time to see what you're like and gives you enough time to see what we're like. And then from there, we can sort of uh, expand from there. But we don't want people coming in just to get out of the support seat. And so the best way to move forward at Jane is to be an incredibly, incredibly good at your customer support role where you're product focused. So if you sit in the support seat and you use that opportunity to make Jane a better product, you're going to be moved. Like you're going to be, you're, we're going to love that. Like your fault, that's our heart. And so we want people like that spread out through the company. So that's what we're working on training on being both a customer support person and a product person, no matter what seat you're sitting in. 
we've talked a lot about support and, and product. What about marketing and the other teams like and engineering? How are they, you, Trevor, you talked a little bit about sharding. So are they creating micro shard teams? I, I don't even know what to call it. Like how, how, is, the, how is engineering and marketing fitting into this uh, org structure and, and this career path progression? Yeah, I mean, the, the marketing function at Jane is, it's actually, we call them the content team. Because again, I think we're trying to be very much like one of Jane's like core values is that we are helpful. Like we are helpful to our customer in every way. And the thing that our customer needs, and I think future customers need, is like incredible training and content and helpful information. And that information is kind of growing into our core marketing function. It's not maybe a, a typical marketing effort. But again, like Ali said, like we've worked so hard on like incredible product market fit, incredible customer service. And now we're kind of getting to the point where like, okay, we could probably do more on the marketing side and or we're building kind of, we're experimenting more and trying new things on that side. But it's really just forming now. Mm. And then the engineering piece, like how does engineers fit into, I mean, are they part of like micro, like the shard teams or are they, there's a one team and the product team is kind of like reaching out to them to implement new features or new changes or, or new stuff. Yeah, Jane's a really wide product. Like it, it does a lot of different mm-hmm. things. So we broke up our engineering team into kind of feature-based uh, small teams. So we have 10 or 12 of those actually that each own a different part of the feature set of Jane. And they get to just obsess about that one part of Jane. So they all have a product owner, uh, UX resource, QA resource, and some developers that are getting to kind of own that one small part of Jane. Well, I'm going to start uh, wrapping up. I thank you so much for both of you for sharing, but like one, two final questions. The first one for both of you is for a lot of product-led companies who are listening in right now, it's obviously you're probably quite a few steps ahead than a lot of them. If you can give one or two pieces of advice to companies who are trying to grow their company, whether that's, you know, product-led or they're transitioning, what would be the one or two pieces of advice that both of you would like to give to the listeners uh, at the moment? Every company I've ever come across has a different recipe. Like we all have a different recipe of what we're starting from. And so we're starting from this because we're customer product, like that is our hearts. And so when we scale our business, it has to be around what excites us as founders. And so I would say really like spend some time thinking about what excites you, what makes you feel like you're so excited to build your business. And it could be sales and it could be, you know, hopefully if you're listening to this, it's product. And then figure out how that heart can exist in all the other functions in your company. And then find people who have the same heart as you do. Like you can find a marketing person that loves the sales side. You can find a marketing person that loves brand or that loves um, product. And so I think like to build a successful company, everyone that you bring in has to have the same heart as you. And it doesn't mean you can't add those functions to your company, but they should be excited about the same thing that you, especially you as a founder, are excited by. That's when you're going to find success across your team. That would be my most recent learning. I think the thing I'm proud of and I love at Jane is we've kind of obsessed about like the product market fit and the amazing customer service is a first priority over growth. And like growth is like a beautiful artifact of doing those two things really well. And I think if we like continue to service our customer and like make Jane like just like this essential thing they need, the growth is going to follow. They talk about it. They share it with their colleagues. And that's been, it's a really fun way to grow a business. If you can get that flywheel spinning, it means you get to focus on these kind of fun problems, like you said. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for both of your time. I mean, just to wrap up, where can people find out more about you and Jane? And do you want them to add you on LinkedIn if they have any questions or Twitter? Like, what is the best way to connect with uh, both of you if they do have any questions? And like I said, where can people find out more about Jane if they want to check it out? I know often people on here have products that can be used by the audience, but we're not one of those unless you're a practitioner listening to product-led. So you can learn more about Jane at jane.app if you want to. Maybe tell your practitioners that you go to uh, about us if you want great online booking experiences. LinkedIn, I've been super, super grateful for everyone that has responded to my requests for you know meetings or information or reaching out. So I'm very happy to pay that forward. And um, so LinkedIn's a great place to find me and get connected. I would say that's probably the two places. And you, Trevor? Yeah, same. LinkedIn's great. And uh, we're also just very curious people. So we love hearing stories from other founders and about how there's things we're doing well and there's things that we really have no idea what we're doing. And we're always looking for input on how to do this better. I love it. It will end there. And same here. Like It's about figuring things out as the plane is in the air. It's what I feel, I feel like all the time. It's like we're in the middle of the air. We got to attach the somehow and attach the engine and just go from there. Well, Trevor and Ali, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope the listeners got a ton of value out of this. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you.